Good morning, awesome people. Uh, it is Matt Whitmore here once again with my lovely girlfriend, business partner, and best friend in the whole wide world, Kevis Marsden. Oh, they get nicer, the introductions. I know, I, know. I'm after, <laughs> I must be after something. I still don't say anything nice about I know, you. <laughs> I know, that's why I'm, I'm trying to drop hints here. <laughs> anyway, guys, how are we doing? Uh, this is episode number six. Thank you once again for tuning in. And um, as always, getting those questions into us makes a huge difference because otherwise we have to just make stuff up. And we don't want to do that, do we? No. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really. Enough on our hands. <laughs> we, 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 we never make stuff up. Uh, but anyway, yeah, episode six is here. They seem to be uh, coming around really, really quickly now, but we love them, so that's the main thing, and I hope that you guys have uh, enjoyed every episode thus far, and uh, we're going to keep going with them and keep getting some really good content out there and helping as many people as, as we possibly can. Well, that's the plan anyway. Um, but yeah, I figured we'd kind of get straight into the nitty-gritty this week. We're a bit pushed for time, aren't we? So might as well get straight into those questionis. But uh, before we do, it's a bit of a... Bit of a sad week for us, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's the end uh, of our optimal body project for women. Yeah, it's the final week of the twelve-week optimal body project. As it's uh, like we all moved in together for twelve weeks. Well, it was. We became like best buds. <laughs> we, we never met most of them, but you know, when you communicate and interact with people on a daily basis for twelve weeks, you know, you build bonds and you have a good bit of banter. So yeah, it's uh, been a bit of a it's it's, it's a sad week, but yeah. it's also a good week because they've all done incredibly well, and the changes that those ladies have made over the twelve weeks has been absolutely phenomenal, and we're incredibly proud of every single one of them. And uh, but on the plus side, we've got another one starting on the sixth of January. Um, we've actually only got two spots left for the for the women's one. You've done well there. I've done well. <laughs> I haven't done anything. So yeah, so thank you to the ladies that have signed up for that. And uh, yeah, there's two spots left, but that's going to be another awesome 12 weeks. And uh, as I mentioned before, there's a 12-week men's plan too, which we're really, really excited about. And a uh, few more places left on that than the women's one, but um, I'm sure they'll get snapped up soon. But anyway. Let- one thing I'd like to mention about our plans, just to um, make it clear to people. Obviously, talk about body, optimal body, and, and people, you know, join these things for fat loss is a lot of people's goals. That's why they come to us, yeah. you know, and, and we're, we do nutrition and training. But the actual plans themselves involve every single week taking you through step-by-step aspects of the body that are going to help you get, really, it's healthy that we're sort of encouraging, which brings about the body composition that you oh, course, want. Yeah. So we do a week on the gut, we do um, a week on stress, we do a week on toxicity we do um, looking at lifestyle factors that can really influence your health and we do everything from things like books to read you know supplements and and also supplemental foods so what foods should you should you aim to include in your sort of weekly meal plan in and how to sort of you know cope with situations like holidays and you know parties and, and family dinners where it's going to be taken out of, yeah it's taken out of your control and what, what are your best choices to make what can you do after to sort of mitigate the damage and that's the great thing about it being 12 weeks is everyone goes through different sort of um, experiences don't they in yeah. their lives a few of the women you know changed jobs and went on holiday and we were able to talk them through best choices to make what supplements to have on board at that time and it's, it's all about gaining control, isn't it? Yeah, like we, we, knowledge is, yeah. Is, is, helps you gain control. Knowledge is power, isn't it? Oh, 100%. That's what we want to give people. I, th- I think if people have a belief in kind of what they're doing and, a, and a, a deeper understanding of why they're doing it, then it makes the decisions much easier. I mean, I pointed out in the, the group the other day that there was a huge change in the way, in the, just the kind of language the ladies were using on the uh, the private Facebook group we had open for them. And 
you know, in the kind of early few weeks, the questions were very much, you know, is it okay if, what happens if I do this? Like, does it matter if this has happened to saying things like, you know, um, I plan to do this today, but X, Y, and Z got in the way. So I've done this instead. So I've remained within the principles and I loved it. You know, and it was a, a very much, a, a much more so confident approach to here was the situation. It didn't really go according to plan, but no worries. I know the principles. I know how to make the right decisions. And I've done so, and I still feel really, really good about it. And that for us was was huge, eh? Yeah, definitely. And I, I, we saw um, one of the incidents that I really enjoyed observing was about sort of 10 weeks in, eight or 10 weeks in, I did a webinar on if you're plateauing. So if you're not sort of seeing the results that you wanted to, um, first we sort of say look around fat loss and look at, you know, skin, hair, nails, that sort of stuff. If there's improvements there, any improvement is a good sign and we're going in the right direction. But in terms of you know, body composition, I sort of gave just a few tips, um, although I think it did, it was about 90 minutes worth of tips in the end on the webinar, it ran over a little (laughs) bit, gave it carried away, on where you could look to change and what might need supporting in the body and, you know, maybe your approach to training or sleep or stress. And there was quite a few tips. And one of the women announced the next day what she'd taken on board from that webinar and how she was going to change over the next few weeks. And religiously followed it and and got results again. Like mm. soon kickstarted fat loss and and the pounds started dropping off and she was so pleased and I loved seeing her just take control of the situation and um yeah that was that was really exciting for me and and she's ended on a massive high and I think yeah. she'll just you know continue as she you know means to, as as she has done in the last few weeks of the plan she's discovered what works for her rather than you know sort of constantly trying to think well it worked for somebody else so it must work for me and it doesn't necessarily work like that well that's the beauty of it isn't it is that we've always said that you know what works for one won't work for the next person and hence the reason why we keep the numbers really low on our uh, 12-week projects because you know we just don't want it full with hundreds of people because we like to be able to pay the kind of attention to the individuals on there that that they deserve and you know because normally when people go on a 12-week plan there's much more to their reason to join it than simply fat loss like Keris mentioned so you know like when you do see them taking like real control of situations and then continuing to progress then yeah it makes our day doesn't it progress what did I say (laughs) progress 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 oh excuse me (laughs) (laughs) should we move on yep right question question time Okay, this is a question from David McKinley, and this is uh, regarding psoriasis. David has said, I've suffered from psoriasis for around three to four years now, and from listening to various podcasts in the last few years, have learned it's possibly related to the gut. Are there any specific protocols, nutrition-wise, I can do or follow to improve this? Currently, it covers around 85% of my scalp, only areas which are covered with hair, strangely enough. I'm pretty lucky as it's almost unseen by anyone. However, I do have a small patch which doesn't get any larger and has remained the same size for the duration. He actually sent us a picture of that. Thanks, David. (laughs) Um, I also have psoriasis of the nails, though, not extreme. It does cause them to be slightly brittle, only on my right index finger and thumb. I have followed a paleo-ish type diet with the inclusion of dairy, rice and tubers for around one year with the occasional day or two here and there eating like everyone else, uh, pizza and ice cream, etc. I've also been trying out probiotics in a small attempt to help with any underlying gut issues but to no avail. 
I really would like to avoid a doctor's prescription of steroid creams, etc., if possible, as I know they aren't the best option and rather mask the symptoms than target the root cause. Any help or information from you guys would be amazing. Keep up the awesome work. Oh, thank you, mate. Well, so in a nutshell, he's got psoriasis and he's been paleo-ish for the last year, obviously with the inclusion of dairy and the odd blowout, which sounds pretty common. A lot of people do that. Yeah. But uh, so, Keris, what? Dr. Keris. <laughs> oh, don't put that pressure on me. <laughs> well, this is really interesting because I was actually at a seminar yesterday on autoimmune conditions, which is what psoriasis is. Um, I was, um, it was a seminar by Regenerous Laboratories. Do you want to just, just kind of uh, just explain Backtrack. a little bit more about just yeah. what psoriasis actually is? I will, indeed. Just, just, um, just for people that may not know. I will indeed. I was actually there. I've just got to give her a shout out with my friend Anna Marsh of Anna Marsh Nutrition. She's awesome. She's amazing. She's going to come on the podcast. We were chatting yesterday. Uh, we're going to get her on in the new year, talking about um, all sorts of interesting stuff. But yeah, the two of us were at this conference. And the, the one thing that strikes me, um, so autoimmune conditions are, it's basically when there is... Um, the, the immune system gets a little bit confused and the body, the immune system in the body starts to attack its own tissues. And there are different tissues that it might attack, that it might decide are an enemy. And that will determine what sort of autoimmune condition you have. So um, I suppose just to backtrack even further, um, if you really want to know more, if you have something like an autoimmune condition, it's always worth um, exploring the immune system and, and getting an, gaining an understanding of it so you can understand the treatment that a, a GP or a specialist is going to suggest to you, because often they are immune suppressing, that's the point to calm down the condition. And just for your own knowledge, really. And it's funny because the immune system itself is so goddamn complicated. I can't <laughs> even tell you. It's the hardest thing. When I get have exams, it's the hardest thing to revise. I don't think anybody, you know, like even science is still discovering aspects of the immune system that, you know, they didn't know about before. It's just... It's so complicated, it's so intricate, there are so many different aspects to it. The only time I ever really get my head around it is when I revise it solidly, and I mean solidly for about seven days, and then literally I've forgotten it all. And just recently I had a cardiovascular exam and I had to do a little, little bit more again of it, and it just reminded me, it's like one of those films that you watch, your gangster films, where they all look the same, and... Um, you can barely tell what they're saying and you know when I, I say to you I hate this film I don't even know what's going on I can't even tell who's on what side and and who's doing what and why they're all dressed the same they all look the same they all talk the same like but that's what the immune system is like I bet there's a lot of gangster <laughs> film lovers out there going what is this woman on about well the immune system confuses me as much as your gangster films is what I'm trying to say <laughs> but then in a way <laughs> um going back to the immune system anyway so Obviously, we've got immune cells, which will produce um, antibodies, which will fight off um, foreign agents in the body, diseases and things that should not be in there. Um, and when we have an autoimmune condition, basically, our immune system's got a bit confused and it can't tell what is self, the body, and what is an enemy. Mm -hmm. And it starts to raise um, an immune response or an attack on self tissues. So... Um, as, and as I mentioned, so if you were, um, depending on the tissue that it's attacking, so if it was something like the cells in the pancreas, that's what type 1 diabetes is. And if it was the cells in the gut wall, that can be things like Crohn's or ulcerative, I can never say that, ulcer ulcerative colitis. Ulcer ulcerative. <laughs> ulcer <laughs> you can't say it either. Ulcerative. You see. 
<laughs> UC, as it's also known. For oh, that we'll reason. stick to that. Yeah. And there are estimated to be about 80 different types of autoimmune condition. And obviously psoriasis is when it's um, related to the tissues of the skin. So that's what it was David, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, memory suppressed there as well. Um, yeah, so that's what David um, has obviously contacted us about. The actual conference I attended yesterday by Regenerous Labs, amazing. What they've done is brought over from America various different tests that you can do by a company called Cyrex and if you have struggled long term with with the um, with an autoimmune condition it's worth investigating these tests and we can put you in touch with practitioners that are registered with Cyrex. What these tests are looking at is basically what might trigger um, your autoimmune response so it's things like gluten for example and all the different and not just the tests that a doctor would do that can often give you a false negative because in fact they were illustrating that there are several proteins that need to be tested um, to look at how you really respond to wheat and gluten in the body and what ha- the effect it has on the immune system. Outside of that, you've also got dairy and other what are known as cross-reactive proteins. And these are the proteins, again, which can trigger an immune response. And the list there is goes right into sort of more allergenic foods like eggs, nuts, and also even things like rice and potatoes as well are on the list. So it will test all the types of proteins that might be making you feel worse. Then it will also look at things like chemicals in the environment. So, for example, something like bisphenol A, which most people have heard of, or it's labelled BPA on plastics, um, that might be a trigger for some people. So you would then know that you'd need to really limit your exposure of um, BPA. So you would have to make sure all of your food was stored in glass and and stainless steel rather than using plastic Tupperwares. And you wouldn't drink from coffee cups and plastic bottles, for example. So it was a really, really interesting conference, uh, really useful. I am going to get to the point, David, <laughs> over what he could do. <laughs> because the one thing, there was two things that I took away. Phenomenal tests, and I Just think... Just two? You were there all day? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was more, actually. Sorry. <laughs> I'm joking. Sorry. The, the one, well, basically, you know, absolutely probably investigate these tests if you really want to get on top of an autoimmune condition. I think this is how you would do it. However, the treatment protocol for most of them is the same, and that's what I'll detail in a second for David. And I actually follow that treatment protocol myself because autoimmune conditions often run in families, not because they're passed down from um, you know, parents to child, but because there's a susceptibility there in your genes, so you're more at risk of it. And then you're going to be exposed to the same environmental factors and triggers that your parents were. So that might be gluten, or it might be drinking from plastic bottles. So you end up with the same response. So it's not that it's actually passed. And, you know, it could be that as a parent, if you have an autoimmune condition and you follow a protocol for the child, the child may never get the condition. So um, not that you cure it, you just you would use it as a preventative measure. So that was one thing I took away. Um, a lot of what I already suggest to people was confirmed um, at the conference, which was really good. But what they did mention was compliance is a massive issue in clients. Mm-hmm. So although... You know, I might say to you, I really think, and this is the truth, I think Matt should never really eat gluten. He has quite a few gut issues and other stuff going on that, you know, we spend a bit of time fixing and then it goes AWOL again and, you know, often for whatever reason. So I don't think you should have gluten, but (laughs) you will often amount once or twice a year just go and say whatever and eat, you know, bread or something. When my back is turned. I I think when I have gluten... I mean, I honestly cannot remember the last time I had bread um, or pasta or I mean, anything like that. Yeah. I no, think yeah, yeah. I normally, if I do, if, if a bit of gluten does creep in, 
it might be if I've ever had like an overwhelming urge to have some sausages in a calf or something. Yeah. And there's obviously probably a bit of breadcrumb in there or, or whatever. And sometimes I can get away with it and sometimes my body just responds quite badly. So... Well, I think, that, I mean, the one thing I would say is imagine if you, one of the tests looks at all the different types of autoimmune conditions that could occur in the body. Um, it's like a big sort of array of, uh, it's looking at all the different immune responses and t- tissues. And it it rates your risk. So whether you're already developing, um, I'm trying to think of a way I explain it, but you're already developing a response. Don't, uh, don't try and think of another analogy, please. <laughs> and, <laughs> Well, no, I was going to say, and you you already have sort of um, elevated antibodies, as it were, and to a certain tissue, possibly. So if you had this test done and saw that you were possibly seeing increased antibodies to brain tissue, mm-hmm. which would put you at high risk of, um, you know, sort of autoimmune conditions associated with the brain, then you would stop eating gluten for the rest of your life, probably, wouldn't you, knowing that? Yeah, could I, suppose be a you, I suppose you naturally when you see things in paper uh, on paper, it's a bit different, isn't it? And you saw the BPA mm-hmm. triggered it, made it even worse. Would you ever drink from a plastic bottle again? Well, no, I guess not. So but that's, I very rarely do anyway. So that's the point of the test, yeah. So um, and they, they're quite expensive. The test, but they Can would. Can I just say something? What I reckon we should bring it back to psoriasis because <laughs> this info is fresh in your head after your conference yeah. and. No, it, would probably, the, it would probably take up the whole podcast. So what I'm, I, I still think <laughs> it's oh, honestly, I think it's very interesting. Anyway, what and it's still relevant to David because I'm actually listing some of the things that may trigger his psoriasis. Of course, of course. So there is a massive list of chemicals he can be tested for, um, but minimizing exposure to environmental chemicals as much as possible is, you know, one of the key things he should do. I'd say my number one thing for him would be to go. Absolutely, 100% gluten-free, but I would take it a step further, and I always suggest this as well to a lot of people, and go grain-free, because yeah. gluten-free products that you might swap in have, um, uh, other grains are used, for example, rice flour and um, potato, potato is not a grain, but potato flour might be used, which is another cross-reactive protein, so a protein that could cause the same response as gluten. Um, then there's also loads of preservatives and additives um, in there. You know, they're very sort of synthetic um, products. So I would avoid most of them. Um, they might have buckwheat, quinoa, those sorts of... Um, how, how long would you say? I mean, because, you know, he said he's, for about the last year, been about 85% well, paleo, bar, uh, except for the odd bit of dairy and, you know, a few like blowouts on junk food, pizza, ice cream, obviously quite heavily processed foods. Yeah. So... I mean, I would go a hundred percent until he starts to see. Oh, it depends on how sustainable this is for him, but he would want to be um, see his symptoms um, receding. He want to. He would want to see that his well, body let, was healing. Well, let, and let's I, say, to be honest, I would go. I would say gluten free for life, probably grain free, um, and I don't think that's too big a deal considering. You know, it, it's, it also depends, I suppose, how much does it bother him? How much does mm. the psoriasis, you know, what? how does it affect the quality of his life? Because if, um, you know, for a lot of people, if it's making them miserable, if, if it's uncomfortable and, you know, th- they want to get rid of it, then 
I would say gluten-free, grain-free, maybe for life. That may be for life because they are, you know, maybe the, those proteins do not work for him. But the second thing is, as an initial, let me finish. No, because I was, what I was going to say was, <laughs> is because you're saying once his symptoms recede, but then like, you and I have worked with people that have had psoriasis, some quite severely to where it's take it, uh, you know, it's covering a good chunk of their body, like knees, elbows, hands, uh, head and ears, etc. Other people, they've got it maybe quite mildly in comparison on their knees and their elbows, yet have removed dairy, removed grains and processed foods and actually seen their psoriasis completely disappear from their skin uh, within two weeks. So we're talking about like, you know, waiting for them until they've receded. Just because it's cleared from the skin doesn't necessarily mean it's gone for good and you can just crack on, right? I mean, because I had a, uh, a a client who just had it quite mildly on his elbows and his knees, and I got him to just simply just go one hundred percent clean food, no dairy, uh, even like coffee stimulants, knocked those on the head, grain free, gluten free, and the plan was to go for four weeks. However, you know the the symptoms on his elbows and his knees, um, like like cleared up as far as the eye could see, especially in comparison to. To what it was like before. Yeah. However, um, based on that, he was obviously so damn happy. He he went and had a pizza, and <laughs> lo and behold, it was only Later. a matter of time before it flared up again. See, this is the 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 problem is with these proteins. So when I'm saying go grain free, gluten free, and dairy free, um, because the casein as uh, protein in dairy is will have the same impact. It's it may be that it is for life. Um, because your body, those proteins are triggering that autoimmune response and they will return the symptoms. The reason I was saying um, go strict for anywhere between three and six months so that the symptoms, you know, as I've just said, do reside, then you would maybe experiment. So if you've taken out all grains, you might want to then try rice, which is one of the least allergenic proteins. And actually, you might find rice is fine. So it's like an elimination diet and you reintroduce, but you want to see a benefit from the elimination diet before you start reintroducing. You might eliminate all those proteins and not actually see any benefit, in which case you might then want to address chemical environmental exposure, which may mean that you need to have tests done because that would be quite difficult you know, to find out. The example that was given yesterday was somebody who... Um, got very sick going into shops first thing in the morning <laughs> because of what they clean the floor of the shops with at night. What? Chemical cleaner, um, cleaning um, agents. And obviously because in the morning it's not really been ventilated, he would walk into the shop and feel really ill and then have an attack of his symptoms. They didn't say what it was. So that's one example. Um, another guy had um, an issue with BPA and BPA... Uh, so the, the BPA Vicinale is also, is also on receipts that is given to you in shops. So he would never accept receipts. And if he was dealing with his own receipts during his <laughs> accounts, he would have to wear cotton Jesus. cotton gloves. So you can see that, you know, when, when it if it's taken over your life and making you really miserable, you would go and get these tests done and get to the bottom of what triggers your first things first, right? So just going back to it, so you would take out the, the gluten and the grains and the, the dairy... You might find when you reintroduce, want to reintroduce, I would start with ghee um, because of obviously that's mainly fat and then also you've removed the milk proteins as well. So that's when I would go with ghee. That would be the, probably might be the only dairy you ever get away with. Um, 
then what you do in the background is you heal the gut, which we talk about so much on here, but gut permeability... Well, he said, he said that in his question because he's heard that quite a lot. A gut, yeah, so you go back and you, it's gut permeability that you really want to fix. And by that, I mean you don't want to have a leaking gut. Um, and I know that phrase is now apparently not supposed to be used as much. So, um, But you want to do things like um, bone broths um, or take as a supplement things like glycine and glutamine, which are just going to help to um, to nourish and seal the lining of the gut wall. And again, that's going to help in terms of, um, you know, just taking the symptoms down and uh, calming down the immune system a little bit. Another thing to get checked is uh, with all autoimmune conditions, vitamin D, strong associations with vitamin D deficiency. Um, so obviously we've talked about this before, exposure to um, daylight, sunlight, maybe even doing UVB sunbeds is something that you could investigate. Um, doctors will test vitamin D, but it might be worth getting two or three um, versions checked because there's a lot of controversy over the accuracy of different tests out there now. Um, so yeah, I would get that looked into. And then you would go for something like fitter food, paleo type nutrition overall. Um, but on top of the um, removal of the obviously all grains and dairy, you would also probably want to consider removal of the nightshade family. Um, so that's tomatoes, aubergines, um, peppers, cayenne. Um, and things like nut seeds, even maybe eggs, so other cross-reactive proteins. And it's going to sound quite horrific. Um, I'm sure David's wishing he never even asked <laughs> now. <laughs> but it is, I mean, the, the removal of those foods I've just listed would, would probably be temporary. Most people can find that they're all right on eggs um, without, you know, as I said, the tests... Um, run by uh, Regenerous are supposed to be the most accurate out there in terms of seeing whether or not, um, you know, how your body responds to something like eggs. It just might be something worth considering. But eliminating and reintroducing. There are some blogs of people um, on the internet. One is Paleo Mum, who has um, an, auto an autoimmune condition, and she's done some really creative recipes. So you can always look around and get ideas of, um, you know, what is left in the pot, as it were. What could you eat and how could you get creative and make it sustainable for sort of three to six months before you start reintroducing? But so, so in a nutshell, like going forward, if he was just to kind of, you know, I mean, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because Christmas is coming up and, you know, we don't really want to be the person to kind of say, you know, no treats over Christmas, etc. I mean, so it may be it's worth... You could do, um, I would say, I think gluten-free, <clears throat> I mean, excuse me, I do gluten-free pretty much. Oh, yeah, gl gluten. So gluten, yeah, gluten and grain-free. sugar and the dairy that I think are probably the... Well, gluten, grain-free, dairy-free, I think isn't too hard to do. Um, even we've got recipes in our Christmas book, which would be out any day now, um, which are, you could swap in coconut cream, coconut milk, um, instead of the dairy products you could probably still um, you know you maybe don't take it as far as things like um, nuts and seeds and eggs yet just do gluten and dairy to start with and see how your body responds yeah, I mean, that's quite easy to do maybe a good idea would be mm. from now until up until Christmas because for me when it comes to treats Christmas day is where it's at <laughs> I, I can hold out until then um, but you know like even now until Christmas just like Kerry said cutting out the dairy cutting out the gluten uh, you know, processed food, full stop, and the sugars, even try knocking the caffeine on the head. Uh, oh, know. here's an interesting fact that I learned yesterday. Instant coffee um, probably contains wheat. What? Not that we drink instant coffee. Wheat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wheat. Um, yeah, that was mentioned yesterday. So, no, no. Uh, and also, but, but what kind of a loser drinks instant, instant coffee, coffee anyway? There, were, there was mention of removing coffee and peanuts 
um, and a couple of other things, more because of the moulds that people react to. Yeah. It's the um, aflatoxin on those. And I suppose that could be said for most, for nuts, really. So you should probably soak and dry out your nuts a little bit to kill off the moulds. It doesn't kill all of them, but we'll kill some of them. Right, so I'm I'm just trying to give David some real simple, immediate <laughs> <Initially, laughs> him things off. he can implement. Soaking nuts, all sorts. Um, yeah, so just I'd go gluten, I'd go yeah, grain and dairy free. The point I was trying to make was is that if he dedicated now, I mean, where are we? The sixth of December today, right? As we record this, you know, up until Christmas Day, so up until the twenty fifth, yeah. just dedicate uh, dedicated everything. So like like you said, gluten free, sugar free. Try and knock the stimulants on the head. Dairy free. Um, focus on good quality proteins, uh, carb sources, vegetables, obviously, and 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 good quality fats as always. Yeah. Um, uh, dose up on your oily fishes as well. So remember the the smash from the book: sardines, mackerel, uh, anchovies, salmon, and herring. Um, you know, try and get lots of oily fish down yeah, and. Just you never know, like you may well see and feel quite a, a, a huge difference in that short space of time. So much so, it will make you less inclined to go completely off the rails at Christmas. I'm not saying that I expect you to spend your Christmas day being uh, depressed because you're missing out on any treats. But my point is, is that for me and for something that's worked with my clients is that when they see results, it makes them less likely to want to fall off the wagon. And especially when you said, you know, this is something that you've suffered with for three to four years. If you knew that the symptoms could improve in just um, just two weeks, you know, w- would you be likely to go and go crazy on a binge and make all your symptoms worse? Maybe you wouldn't. You know, maybe you'd be a little bit more controlled over the Christmas period. A lot of the, yeah. And I mean, a lot of these things, uh, I can't remember where I've heard this before. I think gluten is something like three months to actually get, it out, of system. Your, get it out of your system. So... I mean that's just reason alone to avoid that for a start because you didn't you wouldn't want to work that hard and then find that you know you've sort of taken such a step yeah. back. Um, one other thing I would say is preparing as much of your food as possible so that you are avoiding things like because um, even with things like dressings and sauces it will be the preservatives that could trigger um, again sort of a flare up of your symptoms. So just stick in with things that you know, what went into it, organic herbs, spices, that sort of thing, where possible. Well, I'm that's sure the thing, herbs spices are so anti-inflammatory, aren't they? I mean, you could probably, we should probably do this at some point and write like a two to three week food meal planner that's just um, for autoimmune, so it is things like, but you can have sweet potato, so you'd be chicken and sweet potato chips, things like that. It's like really nice meals. Sp- so speaking simple. of sweet potato, yeah. um, and we're talking about gut health, you know, and you know, he was absolutely bang on in his question in saying that, uh, you know, inflammation or immune c- c- is massively linked to to gut health and digestion. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it was you that nagged me a while back about peeling uh, sweet potatoes because, like, the phytates in the skin and they're obviously harder to digest and can be a bit irritating on the gut, right? Well, the phytates, yeah, it's more with potatoes. I think it's oh, you have to. Uh, I think it's solanine um, in potato skins, but again, I don't know. Um, but yeah, with the root vegetables, um, remove the skin because um, with things like grains and vegetables, remember phytates and lectins are the things that stop them being eaten by animals. It's the tough bit that you know makes it really hard to digest and can be really aggressive on our digestive system. So yeah, you're right. Peel everything um, and and probably sort of steam and slow cook it where possible as well. Awesome. So so David, in a nutshell, <laughs> <laughs> you can't have nuts. 
<laughs> Rather than being 85% paleo and, and getting the dairy and the junk down you every now and again, we would try and go 100% or as close as, as you can for a good spell until you start seeing those symptoms improve. Um, you know, And only then do you start thinking about uh, introducing foods back in again and, and seeing how your body responds. And, and, and that's just the best way. I mean, it's all well and good doing 85%, which is fantastic. It's better than most. But then at the same time, that 15% could be doing a hell of a lot of damage and could be, you know, having a huge impact on your progress with, with, with the symptoms of the psoriasis, mate. So, Can I say one last thing? Go on then. Uh, one last thing, David, it would be check all of your personal care products and that's everything from shampoo to moisturiser to toothpaste. Um, get them 100% natural. Quite a lot of moisturisers and shampoos have, and well, they have wheat in as well. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's just wheat everywhere. It's everywhere. So yeah, to check all of those, go for things like Bulldog and Jason and um, you know, um for toothpaste and mouthwash and everything. Get that all natural. Because that's gonna that's sitting on your skin, so it's gonna trigger that immune response. Actually as well, right? um I'm actually friends with David on uh, Facebook and I noticed he put up some bacon and eggs this morning and I love bacon and eggs, but it looks to me like you had cooked it at a very high temperature there, buddy. <laughs> and uh, high temperature cooking is uh, carcinogenic, which is pro-inflammatory, right? It is. It is. Yeah. So yeah, slow cook the food. Oh, as much David. As Sorry, buddy. <laughs> He's so gonna wish he never asked this question now. But it's even you know, I mean, life. I used to be terrible. You know, bacon and eggs, whack it in a pan, high temperature, get it cooked nice and quick, tastes lovely. But then it is pro-inflammatory, and and I've had and still have uh, got. Uh, inflammation issues that I need to sort out and just little things like you know cooking your bacon and your eggs on a on a on a low heat for a longer period of time in in a fat such as uh, coconut oil um is is just a much better option takes longer of course but much better for you and you know it'll just have a much better impact on your body especially in your case mate one other thing that he really needs though is a girlfriend that follows him around all the time and says, "Don't come crying to me when you." <laughs> that raises that... cortisol levels, and stress is good that to really no one. That helps with compliance. <laughs> <laughs> right. So should we move on? We spent a yeah. good chunk of time on that, but uh, you know, psoriasis—it's pretty common, and you know, yeah, hopefully, I see it a lot actually. But the good thing is though, is like you said, it's also immune. It's it's it's, it's an inflammatory condition, and whilst there are different types of autoimmune they like you said most of them are dealt with in the in the same way but yeah. a- anybody can benefit right from reducing the amount of inflammation in their body reducing the amount of pro-inflammatory foods that they eat of course things like chewing your food properly as well making sure that you're you're absorbing as many of the nutrients as possible and not giving your digestive system a hard time by wolfing food down which is something i used to do a hell of a lot and and that's the thing i mean we have all these issues nowadays, you know, conditions, health conditions, be it internal, external, whatever, but actually just reining it in and eating nice and clean yeah, and eating definitely. properly and, and just getting more sleep, that alone is just it's just kind of how everyone should be anyway, regardless of whether they've got an autoimmune condition or not, right? Yeah. You just remind me of one more point. One more? You stop talking. You really. reminded me of more points. But one other point is a lot of autoimmune conditions are can be stemmed from a viral infection that you had. So something like um, Epstein-Barr or um, <clears throat> if there's any instant of like things like food poisoning and stuff like that, you can often, that can be a trigger for the autoimmune. Oh, wow. Um, so it's worth looking back. Did you go on holiday, get a stomach bug? 
You might even want to get tested for by your doctor for parasites and things like H. pylori, which um, is a, an infection in the gut, um, which is often you have similar symptoms as if you had stomach ulcers. Um, and maybe even a stool test run by a private practitioner would be worthwhile as well. Awesome. Big list there for David. Right, should we move on? <laughs> yes, sorry. <laughs> okay, yeah, we spent a good chunk of time on that, guys, but I hope uh, that you, you, you got some good uh, information from that. I bloody hope so. We spent long enough on it, eh? <laughs> Okay, guys, so moving on, and this is a question from Wendy Cameron, um, and she would like to know, what do you do when you hit a plateau? I've been following clean eating for about three months and had a little weight loss, not as much as I would have liked for all the bad things I removed from my diet. I am now a complete standstill. Do I up the exercise or cut the calories to get more results? Any advice would be great. Well, um, my first first point would be um, to try and get out of your head the idea of up the exercise and decrease the calories. Mm. Um, whilst it is good to at some point assess that, you know, calorie macronutrient intake, you know, how much are you taking on, maybe using fitness pal and things like that. And obviously we want you moving. Yeah. Um, that is the the that method of fat loss is what's led so many people into crash diets and all sorts of issues. Um, essentially, a lot of people put their body in starvation mode. Um, we actually explain this in our seminars often and on our online projects about why it's such an ineffective way to lose weight and sustain weight loss. Um, and the way that people go about it often means that they would lose weight and gain it straight back again, don't yeah. they? It's um, also quite a, it's quite a negative aspect of like health to focus on oh it's really stressful you know if it is just a case of you know exercising more eating less and making fat loss the kind of sole goal you know it's just not the the most motivating of things to to focus on right you know no not at all i think um you know i suppose there's a couple of things that i'd take into account here one is um how long have you been overweight um and sort of following a poor diet or a poorer diet than you're following now because it's going to take a little longer to undo some of the damage um, in some people. So we we notice for some people it happens instantly, for some people it takes months, maybe up to a year. I've seen a year before anybody even has lost a couple of pounds. But it's really important that you don't give up you know, on that because, yeah. as you've just mentioned, your goal should be health anyway, and this is the way you've just said you're clean eating, so you're eating healthily. Um, a couple of things to look at would be... Um, I'm going to bore you all here and say go back to digestion. Um, you might be eating clean food, but are you absorbing clean food? So maybe do the bicarbonate of soda test, um, where you take a teaspoon of bicarbonate of soda in about 200 ml of water first thing in the morning on an empty stomach and see how long it takes you to burp. Um, if it's um, instantly really loud, then that's a sign you've got good stomach acid levels. And if it's, if it's a, a poor piddly burp after sort of between three and five minutes then we've got low levels it's not 100 percent, but um i think we've mentioned this before what we're looking for here is um what are your levels of stomach acid because that's where you're going to absorb um protein and a couple of other minerals and vitamins like um, iron and b12 all of which are essential for metabolism and just for um just general health we need those so you're eating all these all these good healthy proteins but you just might not be breaking them down properly in the gut and if you're not breaking them down they're going to putrefy and cause all sorts of other <coughs> gut issues um, and this is where a lot of obesity um, studies are going now back to the gut and looking at um, 
you know, dysbiosis, so too much bad bacteria caused by poor diet and perhaps poor eating habits as well. So that would be my first place to go and look. But also as well, isn't it, because um, obviously what she's uh, mentioned in the question here is that she, she's been eating clean. Yeah. And it's quite funny because obviously let's assume that your um, definition of clean is obviously non-processed foods, gluten-free, dairy-free, um, you know, organic where possible, good quality meats and fish, etc. Um, but then this is an issue that we do come across quite often with people who turn to, you know, a, a cleaner diet or a paleo diet, whatever you'd like to call it, Um and they, they go crazy on these so-called clean foods. Like, for example, you know... Oh, you mean ba- so too much portion? Yeah, so like... bananas are incredibly nutrient-dense. You know, they're a great food. However, you know, if you was to eat 10 bananas, yeah. you know, there's a good chance you may put on weight. You know, even though it's a good food, it's nutrient-dense, but, you know, there, there is too much of a good thing. <laughs> yeah, we, we mentioned um, to the women on our project, every now and then stop and stand back from your plate and look at it, and it should be you know, like a palm to a palm and a half size serving of protein, maybe a fist of carbohydrates. And that could be things like um, root vegetable, sweet ba- sweet potato. For some of the women that were training, we said rice. So, um, and then half a plate of, of vegetables, non-starchy. So we're talking green vegetables. So broccoli, spinach, you know, all the really nutritious ones. And a lot of people sort of, when they do go, to, as you've said, to clean eating, they think that they can just eat as much of those foods as they like mm. um, and they can't so especially things like fruit may even be too sugary for I'd you i'd say fruit and nuts were were the, were the, the, the two yeah, main definitely. culprits that people just go loco on yeah and then the other thing is the types of protein that you eat um i would just see lots of bacon and sausages when people switch to <laughs> everyone loves bacon and sausage you know who doesn't but Generally, women lose a lot more weight focusing on fish and seafood thanks to the extra omega-3s and zinc and things like that and the bones and the skin giving them sort of glycine and, you know, magnesium, calcium from the bones in in small fish like sardines and tin fish like salmon. I just see women do so much better when they eat more fish. I think it obviously relates to hormones and other things like that. So, and as Matt mentioned, the quality of your food is really important. Perhaps meal timing needs to be addressed hopefully you're not doing something like fasting on top of restricting calories because it might mean that actually you're undernourished or malnourished which means metabolism is slowing down sticking with three meals maybe a mid-afternoon snack um, Mm -hmm. for now and if you train making sure you get nutrients in before and after wouldn't you say yeah i've got you i mean but the thing is, it boils down for us. I mean, we try not to get any of our clients to focus on calories, do we? It's no. not it's not our style. Other However, than like a check-in every now and then. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, we, we, we know that all calories are not equal, you know, in that, you know, if you took a 500-calorie meal packed with nutrient-dense, good-quality proteins, vegetables, carbohydrates, and fats, and then another meal of heavily processed junk that was also 500 calories, you know, the the way that your body would take that on is completely different. And if those calories mounted up to 4,000 in one day, which is quite a lot uh, for most, unless you are a pretty intense trainee, um, you know, if you have eaten the equal amounts of calories, but from two completely different sources, i.e. one one source being good, clean, nutritious food, the other source being processed junk that I wouldn't even class as food, then your body will respond very differently, you know, both hormonally as well as your metabolism, etc. So that's why we tend to not get people to focus on calories. But equally, if you are eating five calories, five thousand calories a day of nutrient dense food, 
yet you're not very active and you don't expend anywhere near that much, then you still will put on weight. It's that simple, isn't it? Yeah, I think sort of um, doing a bit of charting might help at this point in time. So if you've been clean eating for three months, it might be worth doing a little food diary and a training diary and charting energy levels and sleep, um, stress maybe as well on a scale of one to ten. Um, you might find that you get home at the end of the day and because you're quite wound up about this, you know, your your stress is up like eight, nine. Mm. And we all know that that increases fat storage, especially around the middle, and is going to upset the gut and cause even more inflammation in the body. So... Uh, the really difficult thing is when you get a question, like most of the questions we get asked on here, often if you were to visit a private practitioner, it, you have like an hour investigating their entire life, yeah. like going right back to how they were born and how they were brought up. And you get an idea of someone's stress, their routine and things that they're susceptible to. So, you know, illnesses that they may have had in the past. You get to see their skin and their nails and their hair. And it's so much easier to look and go, I know where I'm going to go with this. I'm going to go back to here and I'm going to, this is why we're not getting results. Whereas when people email a question or mention a question, it's a little bit harder. I mean, all we can do is suggest, um, look at digestion, look at lifestyle, you know, maybe do a little. But I suppose if you wanted to send us something, that would be quite interesting for us to talk about on a podcast, wouldn't it? Yeah. You could send us a little food diary of what you were doing and maybe, um, as we said, hours of work, stress levels, sleep, um, and we could sort of assess it on the podcast and say where, you know, we might might change things a little bit, might tweak it. That's not a bad idea, you know. could be a, a new theme that we have going on. Yeah. And one thing I would say as well is um, to if you do find that you've got low levels of stomach acid, something like Metagest as a supplement, which is a stomach acid support um, with a good probiotic like OptiBac or Culturel might just help move things along a little bit. Um, if you've ever uh, been on something like the oral contraceptive pill, that's a bit of a disaster for women in terms of body composition. So um, doing a really good B-complex and zinc as well and magnesium would be really helpful there. Also, what the, uh, what's the app? MyFitnessPal. MyFitnessPal would be good to do a little food diary in, yeah. Just to kind of... Uh, we, we, we often get clients to, to get the MyFitnessPal app just to uh, jot down what they've been eating and less so much to focus on the calories or any of the recommendations they might come up with, but just purely to get an idea of what your macros are like. So your proteins, carbs, and your fats, you know, it may well be that you're eating clean, which is fantastic. Your body will thank you for it. But, you know, you may well be eating far too many carbohydrates for, for your, you know, for your metabolism, your activity level. You may not be eating enough carbohydrates. You may be eating too much fat and your body may not metabolize fat very well. Um, but to see it in writing, you know, and it gives you a little pie chart, doesn't it? And a yeah. breakdown percentage of where your macros have come from. Um, you know, it's not 100% on the head, but uh, it gives you a rough idea. It gives you a, enough to work with, that's for sure. So I definitely recommend getting the, the MyFitnessPal app. And it may be something as, as, as simple as that. Just just bringing some of your macros down and playing around with it and, and seeing how your body responds. Yeah, absolutely. Would you not say as well that a lot of people, when they eat clean... Um, over time, without even realising, their portion sizes just slowly get a little bit bigger. You know, they, they start putting a little bit more on the plate than they used to. Yeah, definitely. And, but they don't even really, they're not even really they aware of it. Because yeah. we actually noticed that on uh, some of our, like with some of our clients or our online plans, because we actually get the people that are uh, participating to post the pictures. I think we're guilty of it as well. Oh, God, yeah, I'm, I'm terrible. Sometimes I look at mine and think, it's mainly vegetables, but it's like... It's a lot of food. It's quite full. <laughs> I'm being, being a bit greedy here. 
But my point is, is that you know it can slowly increase, and you actually be unaware of it until someone says, "Oh, that portion size has crept up a wee bit." Yeah, and then you know people just need to like rein things in a little bit. So eighty percent full at the end of a meal. Yeah, you don't want to feel stuffed. No. I reckon that answers that, don't you? I think so. I hope so. Anyway, okay. Oh, Paris, one more point. No, no, no. One oh. more. We've got one more question. Oh, sorry. So you just <laughs> put your hand up there. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, this is a really, really quick one, so we might have time to get two in. Uh, this is from Richard Jeffries, and he has said. Um, I usually train at half six a.m., which means getting up at quarter to six. I can't get up any earlier. Why not? <laughs> uh, usual pre-workout fueling is a pre-workout containing caffeine and some peanut butter. Post-workout, I'll have a shake followed by some real food when I get to the office. Any thoughts on how to improve this? Well, stop eating peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we've actually covered this quite a lot. I mean, both myself and Kiris are both early morning trainers, and I mean, I don't know what the nature of your training is, Richard, um, but if it is kind of general gym going, um, you know, maybe some interval work or something like that that lasts 45 to 60 minutes, then you'd be perfectly fine not having anything pre-workout other than some amino acids. Uh, we, we don't believe in training completely fasted um, unless it is just a really low-intensity walk you know, for 45 to 90 minutes, you know, you can do that pretty fast with no problem. It's not going to be too taxing on the body. I mean, if you're training really early, even just having that peanut butter, which Keris has got her own opinion on, um, <laughs> you know, your, your body's still having to, to digest, right? You know, your body's still having to digest. It's still having to pump blood to the gut in order to, to aid that process. Whereas you're about to go and kick your ass in the gym to where you want the, uh, the blood going to your hardworking muscles so you can lift, jump, run, push pull whatever it is that uh, you know that you're doing so having even just that little bit of peanut butter and i don't know what's in your pre-workout shake um you know your your, your, your body's going to have to digest that um and you know you just don't want your body worrying about that when you're trying to tra- train and need that blood flow and energy going elsewhere so if you are training at uh, 6:30, then i would say get some aminos down you about well pretty much upon waking so hydrate as soon as you get up. So have your aminos with about 500 ml of water. We use um, hydration drops like electrolytes from Elite, E-L-E-T-E. That is how it's spelled. It's not that I can't spell. Um, and we, we put some of those in there as well because it's, it's really important that you hydrate as soon as you get up. Get your aminos down you a good 45 minutes pre-workout. And then, you know, uh, everything else you had on, spot on, mate, you know, you had your post-workout shake immediately after your workout. And then within the hour, when you get to the office, you're having your proper food, which is which is fantastic. Um, but it's also important to highlight that if you are training early in the morning and you are just going to train on, on some amino acids, um, well, we're hoping you give that a try anyway, um, the, the meal you had the night before will, will certainly have an impact so ensuring that you obviously get some good quality proteins and fats and vegetables down you for your dinner and i'd certainly recommend getting some good quality carbohydrates down you um for your last meal of the day the night before uh, would you agree with that Keris? yeah absolutely so depending on what he was doing um, <coughs> rice or potatoes sweet potatoes yeah veg, that sort of stuff depends on the intensity of his workouts but yeah definitely and something Spot we we're, we're huge on is um you know when you know quality sleep is going to have a huge impact and if you are training early in the morning then 
it's probably even more imperative that you've had a good night's sleep. I mean, there's nothing worse than when you go to the gym after a really bad night's sleep and your performance suffers and you get frustrated and you feel pretty crappy. So making sure that, you know, if you are going to bed for about 10 o'clock, making sure you eat your dinner ideally no later than 7.30. Because, um, you know, again, you don't want your body worrying about uh, digestion when it's trying to sleep. And also when you eat, uh, it raises your insulin levels. And when your insulin levels are up, it inhibits your growth hormone secretion. And when you're asleep, that's when uh, growth hormone is uh, secreted uh, the most. So if you're eating just before bed, insulin levels are up, you're inhibiting growth hormone secretion, uh, as well as digesting food, you know, it's just gonna it's gonna mess with your sleep. You're not gonna get a great night's sleep. You're not gonna get a growth hormone hit, which is so important for recovery, energy, training, muscle growth, everything. Um, then you know, it's is you're not gonna get the very best out of that morning session. So, yeah, that would be my advice, matey. Anything to add, Karis? Can I talk about peanut butter? Make it quick. Okay, quick one on peanut butter. <laughs> um, I really like peanut butter. I love it, in fact. And I know it's one of the highest um, in of all the nut butters, highest in protein of all the nuts. It's got the highest protein. But the fatty acid profile of it, as in the omega-3-6 balance, is really poor. It's very high in omega-6, which can be, um, in large doses, pro-inflammatory. And often, even in sort of food terms, paleo terms, um, we don't want too much omega-6. It's quite abundant in our diet anyway. It's very susceptible to a fungi called um, aflatoxin. So it's just something that I tend to say to people, just keep it on a treat food list um, rather than having it as post-workout and, you know, sort of a daily or three, four times a week thing. Favour things like um, cashew, hazelnut butter, sort of the really lower in omega-6, macadamias, macadamia butter, that sort of thing. Just that's me being really picky, but... <laughs> <laughs> often people do often have um quite a lot of peanut butter and then i've seen it linked to quite a lot of eczema and asthma and things like that and well, then they remove it and they feel what? better i'll be perfectly honest with you right i, I love peanut butter right <laughs> it but is then, in our book christmas book because it's christmas, it's christmas. <laughs> but then but equally i do love almond butter um what's the other one i really like cashew butter yeah um macadamia butter mm, it's all right i prefer to eat macadamias but my point is is that if I have almond butter, every now and again, you know, if I just want just a little boost or a little snack, I might have a couple of teaspoons of almond butter or cashew butter, and I'm fine. If, however, I have peanut butter, my body just, just doesn't like it. No. Even though I love it, yeah. my body doesn't, and I do tend to have some kind of a flare-up or some bloating or or something like that. So, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> just, sa- save it for Christmas. Yeah. Right, have we got time for one more? Yep. Right, let's do it. Okay, this is from Wayne Moore, and his question is related to to sleep. Um, and what Wayne has said is that he's back training after many months. He's at an okay level. Um, he's very overweight at the moment, at least four stone. But uh, he's following. But I'm following your recipes from the book to change to change that, and I'm feeling better. Awesome work, mate. We we. We love her and things like that. It is only my third day back on it, and I have had three grueling sessions, for me anyway. Um, I struggled to sleep last night. Everything by your podcast was off by 8pm and lights out way before 10pm, but my mind must be playing me up because I couldn't drop off till gone 1am. 
I also had what felt like stress running through my body as in the past I went to eat crappy food from the fridge, chocolate, toast, etc. As this is as this used to help me drop off, I guess it made me feel lethargic. All jokes aside, basically trying his very, very best to kind of de-stress in the evening and get a good quality night's sleep, yet feels that anxiety and stress is keeping him awake. He wonders if the intense workouts are linked to that. And if the, the DOMS, so the delayed onset muscle soreness in the muscles is, is having an impact on, on affecting his sleep. He's tried magnesium baths, Epsom salts baths to help him sleep as well, but to, to, to have no avail. Um, so the thing here is, whilst we have protocols to, to help people get a good night's sleep, it can sometimes have a negative impact. And by that, what I mean is... Um, people can overthink the run-up to bedtime and all the things that they need to do in order to make sure they have a really, really good night's sleep, yet already they're kind of planting that seed of, you know, well, what if I do all of this and I still don't have a good night's sleep? And next thing you know, like, your mind's kind of working and you don't have a good night's sleep and then you can get quite worked up about it because the level of effort that you put in in order to get a good night's sleep. I don't know what time you trained, Wayne, but uh, training quite late can certainly affect sleep um you know naturally it gets your adrenaline firing it gets your body pumping it gets blood flowing around the body gets your heart rate up you know naturally if you're doing that close to bedtime then yeah sure it's going to have a it's going to have an impact saying that you know i've had doms so severely sometimes from the training session the previous day that i couldn't sleep because because of the doms and every time i moved it hurt but then that's probably a chance that i've slacked in my recovery or maybe just pushed it a little bit too far and it is what it is however if you're each and every night kind of getting a bit stressed getting a bit worked up about getting a good night's sleep then you know that in itself can can be the barrier that can be what's preventing you from switching off and getting a good night's kit so i would say try not to put so much pressure on yourself in the evening um you know it's great to have a routine before bed uh, to unwind and free your mind etc but just don't don't make it a burden don't make it something that you have to think about all the time and get worked up about if the if it hasn't quite gone to plan I mean you know like we, we like to try and get to bed by about 10 p.m during the week but if it doesn't happen for one reason or another you know we don't let that get us stressed or worked up because it just it is what it is and chances are it's just because we had some work to do we had a deadline to meet with something and and, and and that's just the way it was. But most of the time, we do just try and get ourselves to bed by 10. We switch off our emails and our phones by about 8, 8.30. And we try and get the laptops off as well. Um, we tend to just end the evening just watching a nice bit of light-hearted TV. Nothing that's going to kind of get the adrenaline pumping, no horror or action or anything like that. And while some people might think, oh, watching TV before bed is not good, for us it works a treat because... If I'm not watching TV, my mind is just racing and I'm just thinking about work. And if I'm not watching telly, I'll just be working. So if I can get stuck into a good TV show or a good film, then that really, really helps me switch off. So my, my, my advice would certainly be that if you are training late, maybe flip it around, try and train earlier if possible. Um, from a routine point of view, I mentioned earlier on the last question, try not to eat too late. Uh, eat a little bit earlier I think you were on one of our webinars Wayne where I mentioned this before and you know just leaving a good two to three hours between your last meal and bed caffeine is a big one you don't want to be consuming caffeine too late in the day however 
um, it may be worth you knocking caffeine on the head completely for a spell. Uh, we actually had a guy who we worked with uh, from, a, from a nutrition perspective and he basically done everything we said bar the caffeine. And whilst he was starting to get some really good results, body composition was going down, his strength was going up, he was starting to feel really good, um, sleep was still an issue for him. So the one thing that was still there that he hadn't removed that we were, we wanted him to was caffeine. And he cut it out for 28 days. He was on our, our last 28-day plan. He cut it out for 28 days and boom, he was sleeping like a baby. So all that time, it was just the, you know, the stimulation of the caffeine that he was having, even though he, he was only having a couple in the morning before 12. You know, caffeine actually does stay in the system a lot longer than people think. Whilst you may experience a crash uh, from caffeine, you know, not too long after consuming a, like a caffeinated beverage or coffee, whatever, um, you know, it's still in your system and a lot longer than people would, uh, would like to think that it is. So I would re highly recommend knocking any stimulants like that on the head. So same, even your tea as well. Um, just get, get rid of the, uh, the caffeine and just see how your body responds there, matey. And from a mind perspective, if my mind's racing, there's the worst thing you can do is try to ignore it. I would say get up, make yourself like a, a herbal tea or something, uh, and with dim lights, just write down what's on your mind and what's bothering you and you know it's always good to just decide whether is, is it something that you need to deal with there and then in order to make yourself feel better and leaving it any longer it just isn't going to work then if so then deal with it there and then or if it's something that you can deal with the next day just write it down write it all down so then straight away you've got your to-do list for the next day you've already got the structure and you don't need to worry about it um, but yeah, the worst thing you can do is just lay there and ignore it and get more and more worked up and more and more anxious because it's just going to do you absolutely no favours uh, whatsoever. Um, Keris, would you add anything to that? <laughs> you just about covered everything. Did I? That's good. <laughs> um, wow. No, I was going to say... Um, oh, you, you know, you pretty much covered it all. I was going to say things like the lights in the evening, obviously when the brain perceives light, even from I your think, laptop and phone. I think Wayne's quite good with that, though, because he's... You want to get those nice and dim. Um, I think, like you just said, sort of um, the... The training, basically, at the end of the day is going to elevate cortisol, so you're going to have to probably... Um, at the end of your workout have something like um, a supplement maybe like phosphatidylserine, magnesium citrate um, things that are going to basically bring you back down again um, so the sort of calming amino acids um, you could take some L-theanine as Matt said in terms of herbal teas you've got valerian tea and chamomile tea um, often labelled as sleep tea in um, health food stores and supermarkets would be really good for just um, sort of knocking you out a little bit um, don't be scared to take your magnesium dosage a little bit higher so sort of 600 I would say about 600 micrograms so about three capsules um, I know some people who go a lot higher than that as well um, and there are some good supplements out there um, again we could probably just um, recommend those on the page or something I'm actually just trying to find there is one that's a combination of three different amino acids um, but I can't think of the name of it so I'll, I was just trying to look it we'll up we'll come back to you on that as you were waffling I was trying to look it up really I was quickly waffling. <laughs> sorry <Charming. laughs> Um, so yeah, that would be, uh, and, but Matt made a really good point that the more you think about it, sometimes the more, um, it's not going to happen. It's almost like you're trying to force yourself to sleep. We all know when we have an exam and we have to get to bed early or a presentation, we have to get to bed early. 
we cannot sleep that mm. night because we put the pressure on us. So, um, you know, sort of watching a film, some comedy to take your mind off it before you go to bed um, could be really helpful for that. Yeah, 100%. Excellent. All good. Yep. Excellent, Wayne. Well, I hope that's helped, buddy. And, uh, yeah, don't, don't overthink it, mate. Life is good <laughs> and so is sleep and it will come. All right, guys. So, yeah, that's the end of episode six. We did have one more question, but we'll save that for another time. Uh, it is a very good question, so we will we will touch on that for sure. Um, so, yeah, guys, episode six, done and dusted. As always, keep the questions coming. Um, if you love the podcast, please share it, uh, review it, um, and subscribe as well. So, you know, we are, gonna, we are starting to get a little bit more on it now. Um, we've got our next recording in a matter of days and we've got a guest coming on, haven't we? got three guests next week. Yeah, but not all on one show, right? No. Is it? No, oh. three separate shows. I was going to say. news <laughs> to me. Three guests. Excellent. Exciting. So, yeah, we've got a great guest coming um, next week. We'll post more info about that on the, on the page. But, yeah, thank you very much for listening, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, have a, a lovely weekend, although when you listen to this, it probably would have been and gone. So I hope you have... Uh, had a nice weekend and uh, yeah we will speak to you very very soon guys take care bye